evening, Jets fans. <clears throat> I am Glenn Naughton. You are tuning in to Jet Nation Radio, which I thank you for. Always appreciated to uh, to see our numbers where they're at. Good number of listeners, and it uh, makes it all worth it every week. It really does. Uh, so thank you for tuning in. A little bit of technical difficulties there at the very beginning. Uh, music wasn't quite queued up, and it got overlapped with something else. So I do apologize if that got caught up. But either way, we are here and we are ready to roll. And we are another week closer, folks, in, in training camp. I mean, the fact that we only have one more episode after tonight before training camp actually kicks off is just phenomenal. I will be flying out to Florham Park in, in what, seven or eight days uh, to cover cover camp live from on location for about two weeks, two and a bit weeks. I'm going to head out there from day one of camp, and I'm going to stay through uh, up until I'm going to head to the, uh, the preseason game against the Falcons because why not? I'll be in town. Uh, I know it's not something a lot of fans go to, but believe me, when you're thousands of miles away, uh, you take advantage of any opportunity you get to catch this team live. So I will check out the Falcons Jets on the Friday, Saturday, whatever it is and then fly back the following evening. So very excited to get out there, get out to camp, um, you know, ch- check out Sam Darnold up close and personal, along with the rest of the young rookies and free agent additions and returning veterans that uh, that have remained after, a, you know, let's, let's face it, a year or two of a bit of a purge for this rebuild that the Jets have done. Uh, but all all very exciting stuff. For Jets fans, that have, let's face it, it's been it's been a long off season, but this is one of those long off seasons where it's worth it. Every off season is long. Let's be honest. Um, if you're a diehard fan and you don't win the Super Bowl, you just you spend that 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 moment that you're eliminated from playoff contention or knocked out of the playoffs, whatever it may be. From that moment up until the start of training camp. It's just uh, kicking around ideas, what's what's going to happen, how are things going to unfold. When it comes to the Jets, we now know how the offseason unfolded. And, of course, highlighted by the trade by Mike McGagan, the move up, grab Donald at three. And, and man, it's, it's nine, nine, ten days away till we actually get to see him. I don't, you know what? I don't care if they're not in pads. I don't care if they're, there's no hitting. Just want to see the guy out there absorbing everything, building chemistry with his young receivers, because that's you know as we've talked about that that is this is a young group of talented receivers that myself and and I know Jets fans around the country are, uh, are well hey around the world you know like I said I mentioned our numbers at the top of the show we uh, you know there's Jets fans just about everywhere you know may not be in. Uh, in huge numbers in places like South Korea, but we do get listeners from out there. We, you know, we've, and I'm, you know, anyone that covers this team, whether it's a podcast or, a, you know, an ESPN or whoever it may be, there are fans everywhere that tune in and and check out what's going on with this club. And so tonight, what we're going to do tonight, uh, mentioned at the end of last week's show, uh, first though, I want to talk about our sponsor before I get before I go any further into this, and uh, and Mile Social is our is our is our sponsor that we want to take a second to thank them for basically running 
sorry, I got some overlap again. I don't know what's causing that. My apologies. Anyway, Mile Social. Hopefully that's cleaned up. Mile Social will take care of all of your social media needs. If you're running a small business or if you know somebody who's running a small business, wearing too many hats, too many things going on at the same time, and you want to find a way to take a little bit off your plate or take a little bit off their plate, contact Mile Social. They will gladly run your social media for you. They'll run your Instagram, your Facebook, all your social media apps. They'll figure out ways. They'll get together with you to streamline your process, figure out ways to get more customers through your doors, meaning more money in your pockets. So check them out um, online, whether through their site, through their Facebook page, Mile Social, that's M-I-L-E, Social, Mile Social. Give them a look, and big thanks to them for sponsoring Jet Nation Radio. And so tonight, as I said, um, what I'd said earlier in the week, uh, or at the end of last week's episode, that tonight we will be talking about breaking down the the top 20, top 20 players on the Jets roster. And I'll tell you what, if you're ever taking the time to sit down and do this, whether your team, whether you follow the best team in the league or the worst team in the league, it's um, at least for me, I'm, I'm all over the place with these. I'm I'm flipping names, and I got this guy here and that guy there, and then I think of something a guy did, you know, maybe late in the season he improved, or late in the season he got worse, and you're dropping guys. And it, uh, for me personally, can't keep it cut and dry. You know, I for some guys I think, well, he's he's rated here, but there's another guy who's a little bit, he may be a little bit uh, lower in terms of performance, but he's a little bit younger with a brighter future, more upside. So we're going to bump him up. So while you know, while one guy may be the better player right now, I'm going to bump this guy up because he's he's ascending while the other guy is descending. So if I do this list and you hear this list and you think, oh my God, Glenn, you're out of your mind. I can't believe you have this guy over that guy. I'm the first one to tell you if you uh, if you ran into me and we had to talk about who is where, you wouldn't you wouldn't get a lot of disagreements from me in terms of flipping guys around. Where does this guy belong? Where does that guy belong? But uh, it's a little bit of fun. It's a way to look at some of the best players on this roster moving forward. As, like I said, as we head toward training camp, um, just over a week away, we will be joined later by Christian Dyer of Metro New York. And uh, I'm I'm going to read off some uh, some of my top 20 to Christian and get his take on it. See if he thinks I'm out of my mind or if I'm, uh, if I'm, you know, if I'm way off base or if I'm right in line with what he's thinking in terms of where this team is right now. We'll talk a little bit about some uh, couple couple pieces we've we've posted on Jet Nation this week from some of our writers. You've uh, you've if you're listening listening to the show regularly, you've heard some of those guys on this show in the in the past few weeks, past month and a half or so. Uh, Will Snell is another one of our writers. He's going to be. He's going to be joining us sometime uh, either next week, have to coordinate with him, possibly during training camp, something along those lines. But Will, Dan, Dan, Dan Fika, Harrison Glazer, they've all done a fantastic job. Very happy to have them on board as part of the Jet Nation family. And uh, we'll be having those guys on periodically to get their opinions because they're very well-informed and they're passionate fans, and as, as you know, many of you. So let's let's uh, we're gonna we're gonna 
get off and running here. We will count down, of course, you know, from number 20, counting all the way, all the way up to number one. And number 20 is a guy that I think that a lot of Jets fans would uh, would disagree. I know that w- w- one of the the uh, the more the, the the more I don't know how to put it. He's a guy that catches a lot of flack from Jets fans, and oftentimes rightfully so. Um, you know, there 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 are plenty of guys on this roster with some talent who have some things to correct. But uh, my number twenty guy, like it or not is cornerback Buster Screen. And Buster Screen is a guy who has been much maligned over the past couple seasons, and rightfully so. He has been he's been bad far more often than he's been good. But I'm going to give Buster Screen the benefit of the doubt heading into this season because of the fact that last year, and, and I, I don't like, you know, I've spoken before many times about how I don't, I try not to treat PFF, pro football focus, Try not to treat them as gospel. You know, they're a good indicator, I think. They do a decent job. They do a very good job of giving you an idea of where a player is at. But they're not, you know, there are every now and then you see something from them where you just say, what the hell are they thinking on this guy? How are they rating this player where they're rating him? But I think for the most part, if you watch on film, if you break a guy down, PFF isn't that far off the mark, if at all. With uh, with some players, and one thing with Buster Screen last year, under new secondary coach Denard Wilson, who came over from the Rams, and has you know he's he's done a nice job throughout his career. He's had some good players play under him. Um, Buster Screen probably had his best year as a Jet. He had some bad games. Don't I'm not. This isn't. I'm not sitting here saying he was perfect or that he's a shutdown corner. I'm not. None of that. I'm just. I'm just saying Buster Screen had what was, in my mind, his best season as a Jet. Um, sometimes, you know, wh- whether you want to call it confirmation bias or, you know, looking for the answers that you want to find, whatever it may be, you know, and, and watching Buster Screen this year, I've, I felt like he had a good year. Not great, but a good year. He had He had some fantastic games, and he also had some real stinkers. But he had, at least in my mind, some of his best games as a pro. And when I went back and watched the film, that's what I saw. I saw some games where he looked fantastic. I saw some games where you wondered, you know, what the hell was going on. But all in all, uh, and and I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't disagree. Pro Football Focus rated him as an average corner. Um, he wasn't great. He wasn't in the red. He wasn't in the green. And that's how Pro Football Focus does it. You know, they rate guys with a baseline rating of zero. Anything below one or higher than minus one because the minuses are your negatives. You know, if you're bad enough, you fall in the negatives. Good enough, you're in the positives. Anyone between that very small range of 1.0 and 0.1 is considered an average player. And that's what Buster Screen felt for the first time. For the first time in his career, uh, Buster Screen earned a grade from Pro Football Focus that was not a negative grade. It was an average grade. And when you're talking about the 20, 21st, 22nd, 23rd player on your roster, you're going to have guys that are average. Uh, you know, it's it, not many guys, not many teams in the NFL, you know, can say that their 20, 21st, 22nd, 23rd guy is an above average or very good or great player. It's going to be an average player. And that's where Buster Screen falls, at least for me. He does have to clean up his consistency. 
And as I said in the piece earlier this week, it, it's not often that you see guys that have sort of been in the league for as long as Buster Screen has, you know, six years, seven years, whatever it is, and see significant improvement. But there was improvement from him this year. He's got to clean up the penalties. There's no getting around it. The penalties are just insane. There's no excuse for it. I will say, and, you know, this is partly his own doing, but I think that most fans who have been watching the game long enough, watching the way this league operates, once you gain a reputation as a guy who commits a lot of penalties, you'll start having penalties called against you that are really, really ticky-tack penalties where maybe a guy that doesn't have that reputation wouldn't have it called. And Buster Screen has definitely had a few of those. But at the end of the day, too many penalties. He's got to clean that up, no doubt. But in terms of his physicality, his his aggressiveness, his um, his ability to cover, again, that that was the, the inconsistency. But very good corner against the run. I realize that's not the primary thing you're looking for in a corner. It's just kind of cherry on top. You'd much rather have a guy who can cover well. Even if his tackling isn't uh, quite up to snuff, you can live with it. But uh, that's where Buster Screen is right now. In terms of in coverage, it's 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 uh, the good and the bad seem to at least last year balanced each other out, at least in my mind. And again, looking at his his, his scores, his grades on PFF, they're kind of right along the same lines. He's right around. I don't have his score in front of me, but I think he was a negative zero point four, which again is above that minus one rating. So he's he's in that average rating. So Buster Screen, to me, you know, I think before last year started, I said I thought that he was a absolute no-doubt, cannot-miss guy who will be cut. I did not think he would be around this coming season. But as the season progressed and he played as well as he did, and when you watch other games and see how bad cornerback play is around the league, you kind of felt like this guy's got a shot to stick because the Jets clearly like him. He doesn't make a ton of money. He makes seven, seven and a half million, and I, I the kind of the reality of the of the fact that he would be around this season started to set in middle late last season, and I don't have so much of a problem with it as I did. I, that being said, I would love I would love nothing more than for a guy like Perry Nickerson to step up and take his job at some point during the season, whether it's day one or week 14, 15, 16, 17, somewhere where you feel like, all right, someone's ready to step in for this guy and take his job. And that being said, having mentioned Perry Nickerson, I will say um, I'm not going to grade rookies. I'm not going to talk about best player on the team and throwing a bunch of guys who have never, ever played a single down in the NFL. Some people do that, and that's fine. I get it. They want to project and all that, and that's, that's great. I don't, it's not, some, it's not a, an idea that I hate, but it's not something I'm going to do because it's just – it's just not. It seems a little bit uh, a little bit premature to me. But there are, you know, there are probably three players on this roster that I would throw in the top twenty if if, if he had said I had to include rookies. I'd, I would have Shepard, Herndon, and, and Darnold on there probably. Um, but we're not doing that. We're not doing that. We're gonna go top twenty guys who have played who we have seen, starting with number twenty, Buster Screen, cornerback. Going with uh, number nineteen, up one spot. From Buster Screen, another guy who catches a lot of flack from the fans, and rightfully so, for the same reasons as Buster Screen, too damn inconsistent. But we're also going to take into account uh, the fact that he showed some 
some signs of coming around last year, although as a whole he was he was he was bad far more often than he was good. And this is one of those one of those spots where he may even be less worthy of he, he rightfully you can make the argument he should be behind Buster Screen, but I'm I'm taking into account age, development, um, you know, how raw he was coming into the league. And I'm gonna go with Darren Lee. Inside linebacker, who has been again in year one and <laughs> year one and two, he's been more good. He's been more bad than good. He did have a nice stretch, sort of early middle of last season, where three or four games in a row he was he seemed to be all over the field. He was forcing some fumbles, um, picked up some sacks, and you thought maybe he was turning the corner. And then the second half of the season, that just kind of disappeared. And he went back to kind of just being inconsistent, getting eaten up by blockers, not being as good in coverage as he's supposed to be. Uh, really, no, nowhere near what's been at what was advertised when the Jets drafted him. And you kind of understood wanting a guy who ran a four-four-seven um, because they had to get more athletic on defense. But his his small stature has been an issue that something that some people feared early on. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do the uh, revisionist history thing and try to say I didn't. I, I, I wasn't as concerned as some fans were, partly because you look around the league, there are guys who are in his size range who have been plenty successful, but that hasn't been the case with him. The Jets have talked about how he's going to be calling the plays on defense this year. He's a guy they're probably planning on having on the field for every snap. Whether or not that happens remains to be seen, because if he struggles again the way he did last year, there are some guys behind him who could steal some reps. You have a Kevin Minter, you have a Kevin Pierre-Louis, um, some guys that have played inside linebacker in this league and played it well. So I wouldn't be shocked if he, uh, if Darren Lee finds himself sitting on the bench at some point, and or or at least it moved around. You know, and I talked about this earlier this off season. If you have a guy like Darren Lee who runs a four four seven and and he's coming, uh, you know, he, he runs a four four seven coming out of college, and you're you're desperate for a pass rusher. Maybe you line Darren Lee up on the edge a little bit more often, and maybe you let Minter come in and spell him at inside linebacker, move him to, to weak side linebacker opposite Jordan Jenkins, and whether it's him um, or – I mean, we've talked about this. I'm not going to make it a whole discussion right now, but the Jets do have to find a way to get some pressure off the edge. And Darren Lee, given his athleticism, should be a guy who's a candidate for that. Uh, at least let him do it enough to prove that he either can or can't do it. If he can, you look for someone else. And if he can, then you've you've found a little bit more value in a guy who has struggled on the inside. But I think anybody who's watched Darren Lee would have to say objectively that if you do move him to the edge, the the problem you run into is if an offensive tackle gets a hand on him, he, he's probably he's, he's going to be done. He's out of the play. Uh, you have to hope that he can use that quickness and that speed, uh, that explosiveness to, get, to to beat that guy right off the snap, that that first step to get the advantage and get to the quarterback. Whereas if he's not quick enough off the ball and someone gets a hand on him, he'll be basically taken out of the play. But, again, looking at the athleticism, looking at the fact that he flashed a little bit last year, the fact that he's only a second-year guy entering entering year three who didn't play a lot of linebacker prior to, you know, his last couple of years at Ohio State, we've talked, we talked many times on the show about he was going to need a little bit more time than your average first-round pick. And this, his time is now. The excuses have to stop. He either, this is a, you know, there are a lot of guys on this roster and most rosters every year 
um, where it's a put-up-or-shut-up type thing. This year is definitely a put-up-or-shut-up type thing for or type of year for Darren Lee. He's either got to He's got to make it happen, or he will not see a second contract with the Jets, and he may not see the field a whole lot down the stretch if he's not if he's not stepping up and making things happen. But we're we're grading him number nineteen, nineteenth best player on the roster again based on production potential, things of that nature, and moving up to number eighteen, we're going to go with offensive tackle, right tackle, another young guy. Brandon Shell. So Brandon Shell is a guy who, for much of his rookie season, didn't play. Uh, Breno Jacomini got the nod, like it or not. Uh, Breno was the starter. He ends up getting knocked out late in the season. Brandon Shell comes in, plays down the stretch, doesn't give up a single sack, looks really impressive, gets the starting job again last year, and plays plays well for the most part. You know, Far from far from perfect. He wasn't. Uh, I'm not saying he was fantastic, amazing player, but he was he was good enough. And uh, I think that coming into this year, a lot of fans realize he's another guy. He's got to get a little bit better, a little bit more consistent. He doesn't play as well in the run game as you would like. He's not, you know, with, with, with that right tackle. You know, you want that big, nasty. You want that Damian Woody guy, the guy who can pass block and run block. And when he gets his hands on you, run you out of a play. Uh, we haven't seen that from Brandon Shell. He's been better in pass protection than he has as a run blocker. But he's still been a solid player. And what a really, you know, a value pick. He's a fifth rounder who uh, who plays a key position, you know, right tackle. Uh, but he does have to get better as a run blocker. And we'll see if that happens over time. This is a... a you know, the, the, it seems some Jet fans are, are torn on him. Some people say he's, you know, he's good enough to be the future right tackle. Others say no way. I think I'm, I'm still torn. I think he has shown enough that he could be that guy, uh, but I, I wouldn't say he's. I wouldn't say it's etched in stone. I wouldn't say he's a, an absolute lock to be the the right tackle of the future. I would, I, I would venture to guess he would be, but I wouldn't be. Nor would I be shocked if. If somebody were to were to take his job, you know, be it a, a rookie next year, a draft pick, something along those lines. I, nope, I don't see anybody on this roster who would who would take his job. But he, he's been good enough to keep his job, but he hasn't been good enough to where he can say, you know, this is this is my job. Nobody's taking it from me. But right now, again, given his youth experience, we're going to go ahead and, and tab him with, as uh, the 18th best player on the roster right now, and number 17 is the guy on the opposite side of the O-line at left tackle, Kelvin Beecham. Kelvin Beecham, a free agent addition from the Jacksonville Jaguars who visited the Jets and, and came in when he was he, he left the Pittsburgh Steelers, visited the Jets as a free agent and opted to sign with the Jaguars. He was coming off an ACL injury. He was, at least according to Pro Football Focus, um, he was atrocious with the Jaguars. I went back and watched some film after the Jets signed him. Um, I didn't think he was terrible, but I certainly didn't think he was as good as advertised, at least through the media for the previous season when he was when he was entering free agency from Pittsburgh. But he's done a nice job with the Jets. He hasn't been great. 
uh, I, I think that would be, you know, that that wouldn't be. Uh, I, I think he's he's one of those rare guys where it's absolutely you're getting what you're paid for, in terms of he's a middle of the road left tackle, and he is I want to say the 16th or 17th highest paid left tackle in the league. He's an average guy. He's got an average salary. Um, you, I've said it a million times on this show. You can live with him for another year or two at left tackle before you have to get somebody else in there. I think ideally the Jets would like to grab someone in the draft next season that they could plug into that spot and uh, and, and have them take over the blind side. But right now, I don't think it's I don't think it's as big a priority as some fans make it out to be in terms of it's it's not a, a dire need this season, but definitely by next year something's got to happen there. Um, at least either whether it's replacing him or bringing somebody in who can who can kind of press him and and work on you know a developmental guy who needs one year before they're ready to step in and take over for him. That could be the case too, but at the end of the day, right now for this team for what they need. There's absolutely nothing wrong with Kelvin Beachum. You can live with him for another season or two. And a high-character guy, too. Um, check him out on Twitter if you don't already. He's uh, a, lot of, a lot of charitable stuff from Kelvin Beachum, very community-oriented. So uh, I, I like him on the field. I like him off the field. And, he's again, he, he's here this year, probably next year, and, and that's fine. You, you, you know, you'll be fine with Kelvin Beachum there. Number 16 is another newcomer, um, or actually our first newcomer, looking at the list now, first free agent edition, or sorry, not free agent, is via trade. Uh, number 16, I'm going with Henry Anderson, the defensive lineman from the Indianapolis Colts. And in all honesty, I'd probably have him higher on this list if not for the fact he's battled injuries. He's been a really good player, uh, kid out of Stanford. He's done a nice job for a couple years with Indy. But he's had some some injuries, missed a lot of time, and that's something the Jets need to uh, need to. In looking at the Jets roster, top to bottom, really, especially when you look at some of their, you look at a lot of their starters. They have a lot of guys who have missed huge chunks of time, and Henry Anderson is one of them. So you got to hope Henry Anderson stays healthy. He should go a long way in helping shore up that D line. You know, I, I think what we'll see during the regular season is what was reportedly going on at, at OTAs for much of this year and, and training camp, mini camp rather, was Henry Anderson switching out quite a bit with Nathan Shepard, opposite Leonard Williams. I think that's that's the, you know, in terms of trying to keep guys fresh but keep good players on the field. I think that's something you see quite a bit of. Henry Anderson swapping out, you know, and again, depending on the formation, whether you're going 3-4 or 4-3, I think a guy like uh, Shepard is someone who can kick inside in a 4-3. And uh, plenty plenty of possibilities with the defensive personnel on the roster, uh, especially if D lineman adding a couple to the draft and then trading for Anderson. You still have Pennell in place. You still have Leo in place. So lots of bodies, but I think Henry Anderson, at least for me, is the uh, the first newcomer on the list at number 16. And if he, if he pans out, that, that's that's huge. If he stays healthy and plays the way he did a couple of years ago with Indy, then, you know, that's going to take a little bit of pressure off Leo, and, you know, Leo needs to step up. He's got to have himself a big year. So Henry Anderson comes in at 16. And number 15, another guy who would be higher, if not for injuries, um, Morris Claiborne, second year with the Jets. 
Um, we all know high draft pick with the Cowboys a few years ago, third, fourth pick overall, whatever it was, out of LSU, a school that just churns out tons of pro prospects. Um, high, you know, highly touted guy, high expectations, and just can't stay healthy. Even last year, started 15 games, missed one with injury, and looked like a different player down the stretch when he was playing with an injury. Uh, actually, his last couple games, I think he finished up pretty strong. But weeks, I want to say like 9 through 13 or 8 through 13, somewhere in that range, he looked like a completely different player than he did earlier in the year. Um, we we did find out he was playing with a foot injury. So while he was on the field, he was playing hurt. It was seriously affecting his play. We were seeing him get beat deep a lot more than we did earlier. But still a talented enough guy. Again, not not uh, not a great player, but uh, you know at least when he's healthy, and it, that is a key. I mean, it's a key for any player. But when you've been as hurt as often as he has, that is a huge thing. He's got to be able to stay healthy. When healthy, not a bad player. It does a good job. So Mo Claiborne gets my uh, the nod as the number 15 guy on the roster. So number 14, and again, it's it's funny, you know. You, Thoughts cross your mind as you're making these lists up, and you don't realize until you sit down. Only some, you know, realizing it now as you go through the number of guys who you rate lower than you would have otherwise. Um, I just said that about Claiborne. I said it about Anderson. So three in a row: Anderson, Claiborne, and now number fourteen again rated lower because of some injuries, um, or because of one major injury. Quarterback Teddy Bridgewater. So. As we all know, young guy, former first-round draft pick out of Louisville. He's a guy that some Jets fans have spent a good bit of time, good bit of time saying they wished that he was the guy that the Jets grabbed back. Uh, I believe he was the Geno year. Um, Bridgewater was out there. Jets didn't take him. Went with Calvin Pryor, and Bridgewater was a highly touted guy. He was, if I remember correctly, he was the top-rated quarterback by a lot of folks heading into the collegiate season. And then uh, some, there were some questions about arm strength and things like that. He fell, but, uh, you know, he fell to the bottom of the first round. But bottom line, young guy, he's been in the playoffs. He's proven he can play in the pros, completed well over 60% of his passes, 65% a couple of years ago with the Vikings. Of course, has this, this knee injury that, that threatens his career, threatens his leg. There was talk of a possible amputation when the Vikings training staff saw what he had done to himself. Um, he bounces back. He has come back. He has played well. By all reports, he hasn't been slowed at all by the uh, the knee. He's looked at throwing on the move, uh, rolling out. If you you know if you're following Jets writers on Twitter, you're seeing the the, the work that Teddy Bridgewater is doing. I know me personally, um, looking looking uh, very forward to seeing Teddy Bridgewater in camp here in the, in a couple weeks. And he gets number 14 again. If if not for the injury, the leg issue. You know, probably have him a little bit higher on the list. And now number 13, um, staying on offense and another newcomer, uh, two newcomers in a row here. Uh, and this this was a, you know, this is one of those, you look at a guy's production, you look at where he came from, you look at what he had to work with, you look at the fact that his team was always losing. And uh, I'm going to go with Isaiah Crowell, number 13 here. Comes to the Jets as a free agent, uh, replaces Matt Forte. He'll probably split starters carries with with Bilal Powell. And don't count on Eli McGuire either to win that starting job. That's a whole other story. 
but we won't uh, we won't get into that right now. So Isaiah Crowell, he's a he's a guy who's not uh, you know he's not Jerome Bettis, but he's got he's got more power out of the backfield than most of the Jets backs do. I've talked about his balance that he's shown in watching a lot of film on him. A lot of times you see him get hit, you know, whether it's whether it's uh, directly and he spins off or from the side and he he looks like he's going to go down. He keeps his footing, picks up some extra yards. He does a really nice job of that. Catches the ball out of the backfield well enough when asked to. Hasn't done it a ton, but hasn't been asked to do it a ton. But when asked, I think he had 30, 40 catches a couple of years ago. So he's a guy the Jets have, you know, that, that's one thing that, that the Jets have going for them this year is that in having a guy like Crowell, a guy like Powell, and, and a guy, you know, sorry, my uh, computer just shut down right there. Yeah, but, um, Having Powell, having Crowell, having McGuire—these are three guys who can, they can, they can all catch, they can all run, they can all block. And uh, I think when it comes to hands, I know I just mentioned him, uh, McGuire. I think Elijah McGuire, uh, if he gets the opportunity, he's going to show he's probably got the best hands on the team out of, in, out of the backfield. And some people may think that's crazy because Bilal Powell's been so great. But if you go back and watch some Eli McGuire in college, man, he makes some fantastic catches. Uh, he just didn't get a chance to show it off a whole lot last year. wasn't targeted. But um, anyway, that's two mentions for Elijah McGuire, a guy who's not even on our list. Um, he, he probably would have been 21. If I was doing top 21, I'd probably have Eli McGuire higher than some people would. And that's fine. I think he's uh, I think he's going to be a good player. So that's Crowell. And now uh, we're going to go to number 12. Now this one is, this is a guy that probably could have got higher, was definitely higher last year. But again, taking into account age, um, you know where where guys are in their career, whether they're on their way up or on the way down, if their jobs are in jeopardy. But you got to love the job he did last year. I'm going with Josh McCown as number twelve. Free agent addition last year, who has played for eight, nine, ten, fifteen, twenty-five NFL teams, whatever it may be. But he's a guy. I'll tell you what he. Uh, Having watched him a couple of years ago, you know, it was only a couple drives. Everyone remembers that game against the Jets where he got upended and knocked out during the uh, during the, the regular season opener against the Browns. And I'll tell you what, I, uh, I came away from that game, again, even though McCown only played a very short time, I came away thinking, man, I got Josh McCown. It's better than I thought, you know, better than I realized. He, he It really is just his uh, – his health. It's not that he can't play in this league. It's that he can't stay healthy in this league. So that's a, that's a big factor in, in grading him and rating him where I did. But we saw him throw a good deep ball last year. For for a guy his age, he still shows good mobility. You know, no, he's not Mike Vick. He's not Russell Wilson. He's not, you know, for those of you who go back far enough, he's not John Elway. He, but he's a guy who can get away from pressure and can make throws on the run. I was actually watching a game earlier this week, the the first meeting between the Jets and Pats, and uh, he had a play in that game, man, where he uh, he was under heavy duress. He rolled right and made a throw on the run where Jeremy Curley made a fantastic catch inside the five. For those of you who remember, had a defender basically draped over the front of him, and uh, McCown put the ball in a great spot. Curley made a great catch. So Josh McCown, more athletic than, than people realize and just flat-out better quarterback than people realize. But let's face it, he's 37, 38 years old. 
probably his last year, and I think I think I speak for a lot of Jets fans when I say that hopefully he's back next year um, as a member of the coaching staff, helping bring Sam Donald along. And uh, and of course you have to love his selflessness. You know he's already said, gone on record and said the best thing that can happen to him is that five years from now Sam Donald is is going to the Pro Bowl. And um, hey, let's hope it's sooner than that. But you have to like McCown, what he brought last year. And one of his top targets from last year is uh, is our number 11, and that's Jermaine Curse, a receiver added in the deal with the Seahawks that sent Sheldon Richardson to Seattle. Jets got Curse and a second-round pick, and that deal just looks better and better, really, folks, if you think about it. Uh, it netted the Jets a starting wide receiver who had a career year last year, posted over 800 yards at five touchdowns, and that second-rounder that, that Sheldon Richardson brought was a was a key asset in being able to to send to Indianapolis in order to trade up and get that get that number three pick and draft Sam Darnold. But let's say Curse, uh, consummate professional, runs good routes, showed really good hands all year, um, deceptive speed. He was able to get behind the defense more often than he thought when he was coming from Seattle because there was a lot of talk about how he's a throw-in, he's a jag, he's an average guy, can't do anything all that well, he'll catch a couple balls. But we saw we saw different, and I've mentioned this offseason a few times, that I can't believe – well, I, I shouldn't, say, shouldn't say I can't believe the number of people that have suggested he would get traded. Um, when you look at his production, age, salary, he's probably – the guy that you know, if a team if a team is looking for some depth at wide receiver, and they're calling the Jets, Jermaine Curse is probably the first guy they're asking for, and he's probably at least financially no cap hit if traded. The, the, from a money standpoint, makes the most sense. But I don't want to see the guy gone. I'd like to see him play out this year and then get himself a two or three year deal to hang around a little bit longer. Whether or not that happens, we'll see. But if you're not happy with the way Jermaine Curse played last year, I don't know what to tell you. Guy did a really good job. Tough, tough receiver. Not afraid to go over the middle, and again, a professional guy. That you know, these are the guys you want in your locker room to to work with and, and bring along some of these young receivers. So Jermaine Curse lands at number eleven on our top twenty, and then we're going to go number ten, number ten and number nine. Like I said, a lot of these you could flip around. I'd say ten and nine were probably almost interchangeable with me. I wouldn't probably the, the biggest example of of guys I wouldn't argue if you wanted to flip them, but with number ten and, and both both ten and nine uh, defensive players, both linebackers, but Avery Williamson is is my number ten guy. He's going to re- replace Demario Davis. Whether or not he's going to be an every down guy remains to be seen, and that's interesting because. We, you know, we, we've seen how he commented on being upset about the Titans pulling him on in, in some defensive packages. Felt like he's an every-down guy. And then you look and you look and see that the Jets bring in the, someone I mentioned earlier, Kevin Pierre-Louis, who could feasibly, you know, be a guy that maybe would fill in. He he might be that guy if if uh, if the Jets are going to look to pull him off the field, to pull Williamson off the field. Kevin Pierre-Louis is probably the first guy up to to replace him. And as I've said previously, having given Louis two years, six million, you have to imagine a three million a year. They have they, they have a a bigger role in vision for him than than just being a guy on special teams. So, but whether or not Williamson is a an every down guy, I think he can. I'm not saying he can't be. I'm just 
kind of throwing out the footnote that uh, the Titans did bench him a bit last year in some situations, and the Jets did add another linebacker who could spell him in certain situations. If, if Williamson is an every-down guy, I'd have no issue with that. I think he covers, from what I saw on film, he covers better than better than advertised. And in the middle, he's an absolute thumper. I think he's a basically a younger younger version of Demario Davis and what he brought. And we know how much Demario Davis struggled early in his career in pass coverage. And really, I mean, he was asked to do that probably a little bit more than he should have been. It wasn't as much of an issue last year because that wasn't his role. But Williamson, Williamson comes in, younger guy, a little bit more energy, and uh, and not a bad player at all. Not a bad player. He he cracks the top ten, number ten for me, and then number nine is uh, another linebacker, a guy who, you know, one of uh, one of Mike McCagnin's better draft picks up to this point, Jordan Jenkins, enters year three out of Georgia. Um, you know, he's got that that strong side linebacker spot nailed down. Not great in coverage, but man, does he hold up against the run? And and he got he got a little more pressure on the quarterback last year than people realize. You know, the sack numbers weren't there. He had you know what three sacks or four sacks, something like that. It was a low number. But as we've discussed quite a bit this this off season, the secondary wasn't that great last year. The corners weren't really good enough to to hold up against a lot of these quick passing offenses. And so Jordan Jenkins rarely had the opportunity to get to the quarterback in terms of time. I want to say he had over 20 hits from pressures on opposing quarterbacks, and I hate saying that because that's pretty much verbatim what, what myself and many others were saying a few years ago about Quentin Copels. You know, like, oh, he's almost there. He's got all these pressures and all these hits, and wait till next year he's going to break out. And it just never happened. But at least the difference between Jordan Jenkins and Quentin Copels is that Jordan Jenkins appears to love playing football in the NFL. Uh, Quentin Copels was just kind of hanging out. Every now and then he'd put forth an effort, look like a player, and then you wouldn't see him again for three or four weeks. Um, so so Jenkins gets the number nine spot. Like I said, really strong against the run. And, and I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see seven or eight sacks out of him this year. You know, probably, you know, we've made the comparison before. Calvin Pace type. He'll be a guy who picks up some sacks. And... Uh, but, you know, he's never going to be a 15-sack guy, but, but but he'll do a nice job. So that's Jordan Jenkins at number nine. Number eight, a guy returning from injury might be a top three guy if he had played all of last year and continued to trend in the direction he was before he got injured. Wide receiver Quincy Inunua, one of my favorite guys out of Nebraska, one of the few picks I really loved that John Idzik made when he made it. Um, had the opportunity to speak to him the year, he, the year after he was drafted and uh, just – you know, can't can't speak highly enough of Quincy Inunua. When you talk about when you talk about effort, when you talk about aggressiveness, when you talk about the ability to make plays with the ball in his hands, um, versatility, his ability to block, whether it's as as an H back or a receiver on the outside, just a really physical guy. And and to me, like I said, probably a top three guy on this roster if he had played all of last year and continued trending the way he was. But because of the injury and the uncertainty, he drops down to number eight. And number seven is a guy that, again, I'm sure this one will be, uh, there'll be some people scratching their heads wondering what in the world I'm thinking. But at the same time, if you listen to this show and have been listening to this show for any length of time, it won't be all that surprising to you. 
giving the man his due, the credit he deserves. I'm going to go with uh, Steve McClendon at number seven, the defensive tackle who, again, a free agent from the Pittsburgh Steelers who came along a couple of years ago. And, you know, I used the term earlier in talking, I think the thing I said about curse in terms of consummate professional, that's Steve McClendon. Um, always willing to hang around and answer the tough questions after a tough loss. Carries himself like a pro every single time out. Wins his battles consistently on Sundays, especially in the run game. Takes on double teams, beats them, does a good job of splitting double teams, getting into the backfield, wreaking havoc. He, I want to say he was the second or third highest rated player on the roster per PFF. He was in the low 80s. And really just when you, when you look at the whole package, when you look at production, leadership, professionalism, um, and really not that this comes into play in terms of how good a player is, but bang for your buck. He doesn't make a ton of money. And part of that is because of the position he plays, um, and part of that is because he he hadn't played at this high of a level for for uh, for Pittsburgh where he, he just didn't see this, this many reps, whether it's the system, whether it's the reps. He's been a much better player in New York than he was in Pittsburgh. I don't think he gets nearly enough credit. I say it all the time. But uh, but we're giving him credit. He's he's cracking the top ten. He's even at number seven. I think I saw somebody do a top 20, maybe in Brian Costello. Don't hold me to that. And had him somewhere around 20. And I thought, you know what? If 19 guys on the roster were doing their job better than Steve McClendon, this team would be going deep into the playoffs every year. Um, so that's just my take on that. Steve McClendon, number seven. Bilal Powell. Who doesn't like Bilal Powell? Bilal Powell is our number six. Mentioned him earlier. The guy can run. The guy can catch. The guy can block. The guy just shuts his damn mouth and does his job every year. And more often than not, does it better than 45 or so, maybe 46, 47 guys on the roster. One of the best players on this team year in and year out. Doesn't always get the credit, doesn't always get the love, doesn't always get the reps, and I understand he has had some durability issues. He's missed time whenever he does see, um, you know, increased reps. But if I'm the Jets, you know, I get whatever you can out of this guy, and I don't mean that in the, you know, sometimes you see these fans, run this guy to the ground, then dump him. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I don't think we should be trying to run guys into the ground so we can release them and move on. I just think that in terms of what he brings, and he is a guy who's shifty enough that he doesn't take a ton of huge hits. And and I, as I've mentioned on this show before, if you look at his workload in college and early in his career, even though he is 28, 29 years old, he's probably playing on 26-year-old legs. He's probably a guy who will play well you know, into his early 30s, 32, 33. He'll probably still be a pretty good back. And, again, Production is there. High character is there. Versatility is there. Uh, ability to to do anything you ask him. So again, if if you're not a if you're a Jets fan and you're not a Bilal Powell fan, um, I really don't know what to make of that. It's not very often, but every now and then you catch a fan who's just not not a big Bilal guy. So Bilal Powell is my number six. I will then we'll we'll jump to number five, and then we're going to jump to Christian, who is uh who's calling in Christian Dyer from Metro New York. Um, covering my number five real quick, we're going to go with with second-year player safety out of Florida, Marcus May. He did a really nice job in the secondary last year. 
Um, for, at least, for me personally, I'm the first to admit it, played better than I thought he would. He was far more physical than I anticipated, and he did a better job against the pass than I thought. I thought that uh, I thought we'd see him get beat deep an awful lot because that did happen in college. Didn't happen a whole lot in the pros a couple times late in the year. But the physicality and the run game coming down into the box, knocking guys out of their shoes, he did a really nice job of that. Came away with a couple interceptions. You could make the case that he had the better year uh, between him and Jamal Adams. But uh, that's my number five. And with that being said, Christian, are you there? I am there. Good. Great to great to hear from you. Thanks so much for calling in. And um, we're just doing a we're doing a top twenty tonight. I'm uh, just finished off with number five, and I thought it'd be nice to, to get some of your thoughts on on some of my some of my rankings. Let me know if I'm out of my mind. I know I I don't know how long you've been listening. I did say I probably have Steve McClendon rated higher than most fans would. I think that's a positional thing. I think it's because people don't don't view the big fat guys in the middle as being all that valuable. But I think if uh, I think if the Jets had ten or fifteen starters that were as good at their job as Steve McClendon is, they'd be a playoff team. So um, so, so here's what we had, 10 through 5. Let, let me have your thoughts and let me know if I'm, I'm a complete lunatic. So at 10, I have Avery Williamson. 9, I've got Jordan Jenkins. Quincy Inunua at 8, who I said, if he, was, if he was healthy last year and had continued trending from where he was the year before, he might be in my top 3. Uh, as I mentioned, Steve McClendon at 7. Bilal Powell is my 6. And Marcus May is my number five. Am I out of my mind, Christian? No, I, you know, I really like that that five through eight in particular. I think we could probably quibble nine and ten. Would, would, would they be, you know, low teens or, or kind of in that spot? And that's just kind of more due to the depth and balance uh, uh, that the Jets are starting to build right now towards the top end of that roster. But uh, I, I would take it one step further. I, I think not only would Quincy Inunua, if he was healthy last year, um, given the quarterback play of Josh McCown in the first half of the year, would he be top three? I think we'd be talking about him as, as a possible dark horse to make the Pro Bowl. Uh, he, you know, mm-hmm. he, he's a thousand-yard receiver. He does a lot of things that are very special. His reach, his, his radius. You know, there are things he needs to fine-tune with the game. We talk about the blocking. We talk about still needing to get better with the route running, uh, being a little bit more physical in terms of, uh, some of those things, but with, with separation, with going up and getting the ball, that catching radius, what he brings. Uh, to me, I really like him at number eight based off of what happened to him last year with the injury, but also with the potential to be a top five guy uh, potentially very soon. Now, he may not crack the top five next year, uh, Glenn, just because the Jets may be going out there and spending uh, over $100 million and he may be forced out, but that doesn't mean mm-hmm. he's any less impactful for this team. So, yeah, I, I really like I really like him there. And, and then, you know, we're talking about Marcus May. We were talking about uh, Bilal Powell, I know, a couple weeks ago. Uh, to me, Bilal Powell is someone who doesn't get enough credit with the Jets. Uh, he certainly isn't going to be a game changer. He, he's not a home run type of running back. He's not going to be the guy who's going to bust out and get, you know, <laughs> those 65-yard kind of runs where he's dicing through people like he's Barry Sanders. But I, I think the value that he brings as being a third down back, uh, certainly just his reliability, the fact that he doesn't fumble the ball, he doesn't have a lot of turnovers. He's a very dedicated blocker. I think he's very underrated as a blocker. People don't see that about Bilal Powell. And being reliable as a receiving outlet, 
especially when you had an offensive line last year that had some struggles and you have a quarterback who uh, can make some downfield throws but doesn't have a huge cannon of an, of an arm in the breed of the new quarterbacks that we're seeing. Having Bilal Powell on the field is very going to be a very good, reliable outlet. And I think Sam Darnold, if he's starting week four, if he's starting week 12, uh, he's going to be thankful to have someone like Bilal Powell who, who can get out there when there's pressure, uh, throw a little shoulder, and go out there and be a receiving option to get you three or four yards and, and potentially a first down. So I like Powell. I don't know if I have him at number six necessarily. Um, I don't know where you had Isaiah Crowell either. I think he's somebody who could be poised for a very uh, prominent role with the Jets this year. But, yeah, so far I, I like 10 through 5. And then Marcus May. I mean, what else can you say about him? Very good uh, last year. You certainly saw some uh, some potential. You could make the argument that maybe he had a more seamless transition to the NFL than first-round pick and fellow safety Jamal Adams. I think he did an awful lot of good things. Um, you know, we kind of talked about it online a little bit just has he really been uh, through the air as much as we've seen? And uh, you want to see some more consistency from him. I thought he had some trouble at times wrapping up people, making good, solid, clean tackles. Uh, But there's an awful lot to like about him and Jamal Adams back there and and the whole secondary in general. Yeah, I think that the interesting thing with Marcus May is as good as he was, some of his numbers in terms of his targets – was almost, I mean, there were games where he he dropped in the coverage 40 times and not be targeted once. And I thought to myself, is he, is he really that good that in year one teams are unwilling to throw his way? Or is it just kind of the way the game plan is unfolding? And then last year we did, or late last year, we did see him get beat deep a few times. So I wonder if that's something the teams are going to kind of make note of and, and test him a little bit more this year. And, um, it's something I haven't mentioned yet during this show. I was going to touch base uh, was the the Devin Smith being released, and of course that means another failed second rounder. I know from myself and a lot of Jets fans, and I tweeted it out. Kind of grateful that this team drafted Marcus May where they did because he looks to have be, he looks to be the guy who's going to end that drought of of you know just coming up empty in round two. And I, I do believe no matter what happens, I mean, if he never played another down, he's better than, you know, everyone they've taken since <laughs> David Harris. But um, but is he is he going to sustain that? Is he going to play? Are we going to see him make that leap from year one to year two? Or is he a candidate to kind of fall back a little bit if we see teams start to challenge him a little bit? Well, I do think it's an improved secondary, and I'm sure in that top five in the list, you're going to have at least one cornerback who's going to make Marcus May's life an awful lot easier back there. And a lot of this and a lot of how May's going to do is going to depend on if he can keep things in front of him. Like you said, when he gets beat over the top, he does not recover well. He doesn't necessarily have the best footwork at times. He is a bit more of a physical player rather than a technique player. When he gets beat over the top, he can get beat badly. But he's a smart player. He's instinctual. I think if the Jets got the kind of production that they got 
uh, for Marcus May, um, you know, throughout his rookie year, pretty much on par for the rest of his Jets career. They'd be pretty happy with him. I, I'm not sure, um, you know, what his ceiling is necessarily going to be, but certainly when you talk about recent second round picks, he, he is more David Harris, as you said, uh, right now than, uh, let's say, the Jason Morrows, Geno Smith, and, and some of the other names, Devin Smiths, that, that we've seen come through here in recent years. So, I think there's potential for Marcus May to grow. I'm not sure if he's ever going to necessarily get the ceiling of a Jamal Adams, but there's some things you got to like about him. And right now, if you're the Jets, I'm not sure the back end is your biggest concern. I think you might be looking at getting another pass rusher, figuring out what to do with, with Lee there at linebacker, if he's going to be the future, if he can grow into this role or if a couple of the games he had last year were, were just kind of mirages at the midpoint of the year. Um, to, to me, Marcus May is by far not your biggest concern, and especially with the stable of cornerbacks they're beginning to put together. And I'm guessing one of those names will be in your top five at some point. Um, I think Marcus May's life and, and maybe his legacy with the Jets is going to be solely impacted on the players in front of him more or less. Yeah, I, I think that, that that is going to help. They have upgraded the corner position this off season, and I, it, it's not a, it's not a matter of it, it, it's genuinely a question. I think sometimes when you ask a question, people kind of take it as a prediction, like, "Oh, you say Marcus May is going to take a step back," and I'm not. I'm just, it's a genuine curiosity because, uh, again, as exciting as it was to watch him play, he as well as he did last year, some of the number. I mean, he had a two or three week stretch where. You know, he he played well over a hundred snaps uh, against the pass, and he'd been targeted once or twice, or something, like unbelievably low number. Where, again, it's not as if he had done enough in this league where you could say, well, teams are just staying away from him. Um, he wasn't quite at that point yet. I think it just unfolded that way, so it made it it made it look a little better than it was. Even late in the year when he got beat, beaten beat on that uh, when Kelsey beat him deep against the Chiefs, which was probably the biggest catch he gave up all year. I think you saw he, uh, he it, it was a misstep. He was expecting one route. I think he was expecting Kelsey to break in or back toward the ball, and Kelsey just turned and, and put it turned it into another gear and and left May you know in the dust basically. But uh, yeah, not, and, not and, saying and, and I listen, think he'll take that step back, but uh, but curious to see what does happen there. Um, and listen, and listen so, at the end of the day, Glenn, if he doesn't take a step forward and, he, and this is what he is, he still breaks the curse of that second round pick, which, I, you know, maybe it's a good thing that the Jets don't have a second round pick next year. Maybe they obtain one uh, in, in eventually dealing Teddy Bridgewater. But right now, I think it's probably just a good thing that that maybe the, the curse of the second round pick is lifted because when the Jets eventually do get that pick uh, and they're able to go in the second round, and I think it's what, 2020 or 20. 2021, uh, maybe the expectation level on that player will be eased just a little bit. Yeah, and it really is uncanny. I mean, it's just, just you look at the percentage of second-round picks that make it, and to think that a team could go 10 years and only get one good player, is re- you'd almost have to try. You know, if you went out and said, I'm going to try to draft nine consecutive bad players in round two, you wouldn't think it would be possible. But, um, well, listen, not not everyone's going to be a Stephen Hill, right, and, and be an outstanding success in the NFL. I mean, that's <laughs> how unbelievable but, but, is that? They draft this guy. He's got this all you know off the charts uh, physical attributes. His first NFL game, he catches two big touchdowns, and you think, oh, we we got we got a legit guy here. This guy is six four. He runs a sub four four. He's going to score thirteen touchdowns this year, and that was it. Never finds the end zone again. 
and uh, and he's out of the league, and you know he's known more for his drops than anything else, and just bizarre. But uh, but before I let you go, and, Christian, and, and, um, but but if I can just touch on that real fast, Glenn. And yeah, then, go ahead, if, please. If you don't mind. But, you know, the the problem is everyone falls in love with the second rounder because the second rounder is thought to be where you can get the gems. And I think GMs fall mm-hmm. into this trap. And, and maybe Mike McCagney did up until last year where you you have to get this guy that you think everyone else has missed out on. Yeah, oftentimes right. there's a reason why everyone's passed on him. But uh, look at Stephen Hill with Mike Tannenbaum. And I think we all at the time thought it kind of made sense given the offense that Stephen Hill played at in Georgia Tech and bringing on board the back up quarterback Tim Tebow it kind of seemed like oh maybe this will kind of work in certain packages and be a unique sort of skill set but oftentimes you're taking a player in the second round that either has baggage has off the field issues or is not a complete football player may test incredibly well is a physical freak is a specimen rather than maybe in the second round going out there and getting the really solid guy and uh, you know I look back to this draft I'm going to mention a local kid but I think Indianapolis kind of went with this boom bust mentality and I think the pick could work out really well for him but uh, Kamoko Torre was a player I had mocked to the Jets oh, in yeah, the third like round. They, yeah, they, they took him in the second round. Defensive end from Rutgers. Only played uh, organized football really uh, for five years. One year in high school, four years at Rutgers. Was banged up a little bit. This guy's long, freakish. If anyone remembers the uh, Rutgers-Michigan game going back four years ago, He's the one who had the blocked field goal to preserve the upset win for Rutgers. You know, he tests off the charts. He's a great kid. But the production wasn't always there at Rutgers. Now, mm-hmm. I think in an NFL setting, he could do well. He can stand up in the 3-4, or he could play in a 4-3 alignment. But you're not necessarily sure what you're going to get with him. And I think this boom-bust mentality kind of it prevails in the NFL where GMs want to get these, these guys, and maybe they reach for them because they have one or two first-round attributes, but there's something missing. Now, if it's something you can live with, and you can work in a certain situation, that's great. But I think in the case of Stephen Hill, or you look at Devin Smith, or some of these other ones, there's a reason why this player's available at that point in the second round. It's not someone who dropped out of the first round. I'm going to say the Giants with Will Hernandez got a good value pick with a second yeah. pick in the second round. But this is somebody who maybe is there for a reason and is really more of, a, of an early day three pick rather than a, a wasted pick at day two. I think the Jets have fallen into that trap far more often than not. Yeah, and hopefully they've learned from that. And it's it's funny you mentioned too, Ray. I had him to the Jets in some of the mocks I did uh, beyond round two. I didn't think he'd go that early. And I, I said kind of along the lines of what you said, I, it, going off the top of my head, I think I said he's a guy who could be a better player in the pros than he was in college. Agreed. Depending on how he's and, and a great kid, too. I want to get that out there. I've gotten to know him throughout this whole draft process. And a great kid, high character, works hard, does everything the right way. But you want to see the complete package and to see him go in the second round. You now, if the Jets had done that, the Daily News and the Post would have rightly held Mike McCagnin's feet to the fire on that pick. So I hope maybe with the pick of May, who's going to be a good, solid player, maybe the Jets are out of this cycle a little bit, and they're going to draft value rather than go for reaches. Yeah, well, I, I mean, everyone knows they could do with uh, with hitting on a few second-rounders in a row because missing on those guys every year really does hurt. But mm-hmm. um, w- one last question before I let you go, and uh, this isn't even as much about the player as it is about the thought process. Uh, we talked about Devin Smith being let go, and, of course, that was to – 
to make room for Brandon Bryant, supplemental draft guy who or safety who from Mississippi State entered the supplemental draft, wasn't taken. The Jets picked him up. Um, the Jets the Jets have had some uh, some DUIs recently, um, and to go out and grab a guy who's had a recent DUI, um, did that surprise you? I really thought. I mean, I know Todd Bowles said they're going to happen. Nothing you can do about it. But uh, to actively go out and get a guy, and again, I'm not talking about the player, just the uh, the history and with what this team is going through right now, I, even when the supplemental draft was approaching, when I saw why he was going to be available, I thought, well, there's there's no way the Jets are going to roll the dice on this guy. And sure enough, they did. Did, did, that, did that surprise you at all? You know what? It wasn't a real surprise because I thought there was some value there. The fact that they didn't take him in the supplemental draft but ended up getting him as a free agent. To me, uh, that component was a risk worth taking. What is more of a red flag to me is the DUI not staying by itself, but coupled with the fact that he was going to be academically ineligible uh, for this upcoming season at Mississippi State. And you know, I'm not sure uh, if, if his degree was basket weaving or, or, or whatever, but it's always of a course, concern when, when you see uh, a player in particular, and I hate to flag on the SEC, but when you see a player not being able to make it through an SEC uh, <laughs> less than rigorous schedule as often is the case, uh, class schedule as often is the case here uh, for a lot of football players. I'm not saying all of them, but I'm saying in a lot of places, combine those issues and all of a sudden you see a red flag and and it, to me it's a giant one does the guy have talent yes but I'll be honest with you watched a little bit of film on him after he got taken by the Jets and was a little surprised I, I, I thought he looked the part he's good he's solid he's somewhere between 205 to 210 so so for the position he, he you know he, he's got a good build but he, he kind of plays a little bit more like Jane and looks like Tarzan to me and and I think that's going to be a concern, especially in the secondary where, as we mentioned it before, the Jets do tend to give up a lot of plays over the middle, and you need someone who can be an enforcer. And I thought one of May's issues this past year was being reliable in the tackle. He could bring a big hit, but sometimes he would miss, and he, and he would miss big when he did. So to me, the concern is, A, the off the field, not just the DUI, which, again, those things happen. Kids are stupid, and I think everyone who went to college has one or two things maybe they're hoping their wife doesn't find out about someday. I'm only speaking for myself there, Glenn, but uh, (laughs) we've all all made questionable decisions in our life, and you hope that Brian can go on there and and learn from this and make the right decisions and never, ever go back to this again. But when you look at the fact that the academics are now a question mark and that his play on the field really doesn't back up how he looks and how he tests. To me, this is somebody I think the Jets were wise not to waste a supplemental draft pick on and then lose a pick in the 2019 draft. But beyond that, really just kind of roll the dice, see if it works out, see if they can get the most out of him, and then just kind of take it from there. I don't think there's a whole lot of risk here. And when you consider that Devin Smith was, quote-unquote, the casualty to kind of make way for Brian, it didn't work out that way, but that's kind of the optics of it. Uh, listen, those 10 catches in his rookie year three years ago, that's a long time ago. And I don't think Devin Smith has really helped his case a whole lot with his demeanor, with his attitude. I remember talking with him one-on-one as a rookie and, and kind of being a little scared of, uh, of the way he kind of approached the interview. Um, I think at the end of the day, this is a good gamble from the Jets. I've got no issues with it. 
But if they had ended up using a supplemental pick, then I think that's where the real question mark would be. So the Jets didn't give up anything for this. I'm not sure it's going to work out. I'm not sure he's going to even make it to the final week of preseason just based purely off of his play on the field. But I've got no problems with the risk. I just don't think it's one that's going to pan out. Christian Dyer from Metro New York, thank you as always for joining us. Uh, training camp is a short time away, as I think I messaged you uh, not too long ago, Christian. If you will be out there covering camp anytime in the first couple of weeks, let me know. We'd love to sit down and grab a drink. Um, otherwise, if you're not following Christian on Twitter already, uh, go ahead and give him a follow. Christian R. Dyer covers the Jets and Giants from Metro and, and uh, some Red Bulls soccer. Thank you so much for joining us, Christian. Always a pleasure, Glenn. Thanks. All right. Take care. So that was Christian Dyer joining us once again. Always appreciated. Great stuff from him, as per usual. And we are going to wrap this up. Countdown. We've got four Jets remaining, four players on our top 20. And we'll go right into number four. We, uh, as, as we said before Christian came on, Marcus May was our number five. Uh, number four, wide receiver Robbie Anderson. I mean, what 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 else can you say about this guy other than the fact that he consistently runs past opposing cornerbacks and finds ways to get into the end zone? And as I've said a few times already this off season, I don't understand the people that try to discredit his on-field accomplishments by saying he's a one-trick pony. Because as far as I'm concerned, who gives a damn? <laughs> if you're an NFL football player and you only have one trick and that trick is to outrun everybody on the field with a ball in your hands, I don't care. I don't I – don't, so what? He doesn't run a slant. You know, so what uh, – I mean, yes, you want to see these things come along. You want to see him develop and improve his game and become a more well-rounded player. But people talk about Robbie Anderson. Um, not everyone. There are some people who can appreciate what he does. But I've seen some Jets fans just rip the guy um, because he's not because he's not running a you know oh, he doesn't run, he's not running the full route tree. I want to see him run a you know I want to see him run a post. I want to see him run a run a curl. I want to see. Listen, first of all, he he does more than people realize. But his go-to move that is going to make him a lot of money if he stays out of trouble is he'll run a go route. He'll beat you deep and he'll score. And he's a guy whose presence is going to open things up for other guys underneath. He's going to require multiple defensive backs. That's going to open things up for whether it's a, a tight end over the middle or a running back going out, you know, trying to leak out into the flat. Then that running back and, or that tight end, instead of being matched up against a, a safety who might be better in coverage, they're going to draw a linebacker, create a mismatch, and, and make some plays. So Robbie Anderson makes plays himself. And his presence, now that he's established himself – as a guy you have to account for, he's going to be uh, he's going to be somebody that that helps other guys make plays. So he's the number three on my list. Sorry, number four. Number three, second year player safety Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams did have some issues last year in pass coverage. Uh, this is another this is another one where honestly you could you could easily flip Jamal Adams and Robbie Anderson based on the fact that Robbie Anderson was a more productive player, uh, but at the same time. You can I the one of the reasons I put Jamal Adams ahead of Robbie Anderson, not just the potential but the versatility. You know we've talked about his anticipation, we've talked about his speed, we've talked about his leadership. 
these are all things that stand out. His coverage has to improve in a perfect world. I've you know I've mentioned it earlier, mentioned it earlier this off season. I'd like to see him line up at that weak side linebacker spot um, in more passing situations and get him coming off the edge because he, you know, I was talking to someone earlier this week and as like it or not, he might be the best damn weak side linebacker on the roster if we're going to be completely honest about it. List him as a safety all you want. Play him at corner whenever you like. But when you look at look up and down this roster at the guys who are capable, you know, who have the size, the physical, you know, the physical attributes to line up at weak side linebacker and get after the corner, the quarterback, Jamal Adams might be at the top of your list. So whether or not Todd Bowles deploys him in that way this season, we'll see. They did it a little bit last year. But between him and Darren Lee and not really having another presence off the edge, hopefully that's something we see more of this year from Jamal Adams as as he continues to grow. Uh, so that leaves us with only two players. I'm sure for those of you who follow this team, you know, even even moderately close, you know the two names that are remaining. So number two, again, didn't have the huge production last year that Jets fans had hoped for, Leonard Williams. Giving him the nod at two because of the fact that if you watch, if you look at him on film, he played much better down the stretch in the second half. He was definitely hampered by the wrist injury that he suffered earlier in the year or in preseason, whenever it was. I forget which year or which week it was last year. But he, he had some issues with that wrist. He wasn't getting, We weren't seeing the same punch, the same push, you know, uh, when he was locked up with an, with an old lineman. He didn't have the push that he had later in the year. So the production wasn't there. The numbers weren't there. But, the, you know, talking strictly from a talent standpoint and ability standpoint, I think that Leonard Williams is, is a guy who's going to have a big year this year. I don't know that he'll, uh, you know, I don't know that he's going to be a 15-sack guy. But nine, ten sacks and uh, continuing to play well against the run, as he's done, you know, since coming into the league. Seven sacks in year two and then just two or three last year. That was a big disappointment. But, again, uh, you, have to, you have to take into account the fact that he wasn't 100% most of the year, and he was playing opposite Muhammad Wilkerson for a good chunk of the season two, which meant it was, uh, you know, if it was in a three- or four-man front, they were basically playing a man short. So teams were easily able to double him, not having to worry about Mo. Uh, so between the bad wrist, the double teams, and, and and the bad DBs allowing quarterbacks to get rid of the ball quickly, I think that was sort of a perfect storm for Leonard Williams um, to see his production dip last year. And that leaves number one, as Christian said, this is the man he was talking about when he said, I would have a corner in my top five. Free agent addition, Tremaine Johnson. This is based largely not only on his skills, but what he's going to be asked to do. He's going to be covering other teams' number ones. In Todd Bowles' defense, you would imagine he's going to be playing a lot of press coverage, something he excelled at last year, and something that the Jets sorely needed. So there's a reason why the Jets brought him in, and there's a reason why he's going to be their top guy. And he's, I mean, he is going to be a huge reason a huge factor in in whether or not the Jets, you know, uh, succeed or fail this season. They need somebody who can, you know, not even, you know, I'm not saying they don't need him to be Deion Sanders in his prime or Darrell Revis in his prime. While that would be nice, 
but but man, just just having a corner who can go out there and and buy your defense that extra second, that extra second and a half by by actually providing some some decent coverage. You know, the one if I had to pick one thing that I don't love about this move, it's that Tremaine Johnson is is not a young guy. He's not he's not he's not at an age where he's over the hill, but he is sort of a you know older twenty seven twenty eight year old guy, and you just don't know some of those guys fall off a cliff quicker than others. Some guys can sustain it and play well into their early thirties, thirty two thirty three years old. I hope Tremaine Johnson turns out to be one of those guys, but if he's not, that's going to be a situation where the Jets are going to find themselves in a tough spot again, because you would hope that by bringing this guy in giving him the money you're giving him, that he's going to be a guy who can uh, who can make a difference on defense. I mean, he will. As long as he's healthy, it's going to be a significant upgrade. But uh, in the end, it's, we have to hope that this is a not a one- or two-year situation for him. You hope that he, he's able to give you high-quality play for three, four years while you bring some other guys along. But in terms of the top 20, because of, again, the importance of his position, and how well he has played it in years past at the Rams. He got franchised a couple times. Tremaine Johnson's our number one. Tops the list for the Jets. And let's face it, folks, uh, he plays well. Secondary will be better. Team will be better as a whole. So a quick recap before we go. 20 through 1, counting down. Buster Screen is our 20. Darren Lee, 19. Brandon Shell at 18. Kelvin Beecham, 17. Then we got Henry Henry Anderson, acquired from the Colts for a seventh-round pick. At 16, Mo Claiborne, Teddy Bridgewater, Isaiah Crowell, Josh McCown comes in at 12, Jermaine Curse, Avery Williamson, Jordan Jenkins, Quincy Inunua only at eight because of the injuries last year, has the ability to be much higher than that. Showing Steve McClendon a little bit of love. He deserves it. He's at seven. Bilal Powell at six. Marcus May at five. Robbie Anderson at four, Jamal Adams is our number three, Leonard Williams two, and Trumaine Johnson number one. So here's the hope, and these guys play to their full potential and uh, have this, this Jets team. I actually saw the uh, NFL Network. They, they do that thing where they look over a schedule and they go week by week. I think they were a little over the top. They had the Jets going 11-5. and five. I think it was Maurice Jones, Drew, and, uh, and uh, was it Willie McGinnis? I don't know. I just saw a screenshot of it. I think 11 and 5 might be a little too optimistic, but uh, how optimistic? Well, we'll talk about that next week when we will be just a couple of days from camp and we will talk about uh, where we see this team, where we see this roster, and and whether or not this is a team that's going to compete, compete for a playoff spot. And then from that point on, folks, we'll be talking real football. No speculation, no guessing. Just just actual, real football. With training camp, don't care. We're going to be out there on the sidelines, watching things unfold, taking our notes, passing along our observations. Might even do one or two extra shows. Because, listen, I'm going to be away from my family in Florham Park. I'm not going to have a whole lot going on other than writing some articles for JetNation.com. So, uh, by the way, check out the forums on JetNation.com, especially for those of you who are like me, and not in the local area, not surrounded by Jets fans. It's a great way to interact. And uh, you'll meet some great folks on there. You'll meet some not-so-great folks. But look, it's like real life. 
You know, there's great people. There's some not so great people. And sometimes they meet in places like Internet Message Board forums. Check out the forums on JetNation.com. You will not regret it. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight for our top 20, for our time with Christian Dyer. It is much appreciated as always. And we will catch you next week where we will be just a short day or two from Jets Training Camp in Florham Park. Have a great night, everybody.